Last week, we looked at loss. Here, uh, this uh, family, Elimelech uh, was his name, uh, took off with uh, his wife, a couple of kids, headed away from Bethlehem during a famine, uh, which may have been a natural famine. It may have been one that was caused... Uh, by military actions, either through the Philistines or some of the other warrior groups in Israel of that day. We know it was during the time of the the judges. And that was a time where these uh, judges were raised up uh, to intervene when God used some of the nations around Israel to judge them for their, uh, their carelessness with the things of God. They essentially would prosper and then they would go into this dip, and, and, and God would judge them, and, and then they would cry out for him, and he would raise up a judge, a deliverer, to deliver them from the people that were oppressing them. And, and, and there's this whole up and down thing. Well, in the middle of that, there's a, a famine, and Elimelech decides that life is probably better in Moab than it is in Israel. Big mistake, I believe, uh, just... Uh, we know from God's word that the Moabites were not friends of Israel's, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, they had a long history. We'll look at that as we get into it this morning. So they go, and then Elimelech dies, and Ruth is there to raise her two sons by herself. And uh, very difficult circumstances, especially in that society, in that culture, uh, and she says they, they spent 10 years there. Well, during that 10 years, the, the two sons married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and, and then the sons die. And so here, their life has essentially just gotten jammed up. There is very little hope for them to be able to uh, eke out some kind of uh, sustenance to, to live on. They're in, she's in a foreign land, and, and uh, these women may have had resources, we don't know, but Naomi decides it's time for her to return to Israel, to go back to Bethlehem. But more than that, she's returning to the Lord. We see very clearly in the text in these first 14 verses we covered last week that, that, that she is increasing in her need to get right with God. We see that. We see that uh, her heart was backslidden and, and that she was in a place where, uh, yeah, she had tough circumstances and yet God was using that very much the same way that he used the people in the land in Israel within the time of the judges. She sort of had this uh, thing going on in her life as well. So there she is with these two widowed daughters-in-law. They're on their way back. She invited them to come, and, and they started out on the journey. We don't know how far they got. It doesn't tell us. Uh, and, and then Naomi begins to repeatedly, we'll look at that, uh, tell her daughters, go back. Go back to your families. Go back. Find new husbands, which would have been extremely painful. Go back and, and, and go back to your gods. I'm going back to my land and my God. Uh, not a lot of hope in her heart when she's saying these things. She's not only grief-stricken, she's guilt-ridden. We looked at that as we wrapped up last week and looked at the fact that in verse 13, uh, the second half, 
She says, no, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's emotionally overwrought. She's in just a load of pain. She's believing that God has come against her, that he has turned on her. And she's thinking that she brought these circumstances down on all of them. And and so, again, I'm not going to go through it again, but we see that because of the emotional state that she was in, she was sort of overreaching in thinking of what God's disposition was towards her. Yes, he was chastising because he chastises those whom he loves. We're told that in the New Testament, but it's the same God in the Old Testament. We know that he was allowing circumstances in her life to get her attention. Sometimes God's corrective hand is at work in painful circumstances in our lives. We, we can see that. Uh, we also know that at times we go through things and we may not know why this side of heaven, but those are those times where our faith comes to bear, where it's actually strengthened. We know that we're all going to have troubles. In John 16, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in you, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Bible word for trouble. You're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Uh, it's a matter of perspective in our lives. As we walk with the Lord, we, uh, just get away from this idea that God exists only to bless me. Yes, he does. He delights in blessing his kids, but he delights in growing us. He is conforming us to the image of his son. And as we gain a heavenly perspective on these things, we come to a place, and it's a a very mature place, uh, of of saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you even when. And you can fill in the blank, folks. We all go through things. Lord, am I going to trust you when my life is, is pressed in? when I don't have answers, when I'm in pain, when I'm emotionally just done. We need to be in a place where we're trusting the Lord. And look at the election in this last week, and no, I'm not going to go all political on you, but I look at, at the things that are going on, and, 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 and just the world is acting like the world acts. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. And, and and you look at the dishonesty, you look at the deceit, you look at the potential fraud and these different things, and every pundit is, is going in, in different ways and all of that, and there's just mass confusion, and we don't know who the president is, is this guy or that guy, and all of that. But we can have a settledness in our hearts because we know who the king is, and we're going to trust him even when we don't understand these things even when we see evil just abounding in the land. In verse 14 of uh, chapter 1 here in Ruth, uh, just going to start there. We ended there last week. I'm, I'm going to just pick it up there because context is everything because uh, it's in the middle of a, a scene that's taking place. Ruth having uh, bid her daughters to say goodbye and, and all of that uh, and and. Here it says that they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. In, in the King James, is Ruth clave to her. It, it, it's what, that cleaving that goes on. It's the same term that's used in marriage uh, in Genesis and, and all, where it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. It's, it's the joining together. And so 
there's more going on here. We'll get to that towards the end of the, the, the study this morning. But this essentially is a pivotal verse because Ruth is saying, I am with you. I, am, I, am, I want to be a part of you. Orpah, on the other hand, is kissing her mother-in-law as was customary when you saw someone, when you showed up, you kissed them. When you left, you kissed them. That's what's going on here. Yes, it's, it's affection, but it's far more than an affectionate kiss that she's doing. She's saying goodbye. She's saying, I'm leaving. I'm going back to my people and my gods. There's so much going on in this verse. We see, I came across this, that Naomi is grieving, Orpah is leaving, and Ruth is cleaving. <laughs> so you've got all of that going on in one verse. How different these two women were. Both had married Hebrew men. Both had been at least exposed to Yahweh through their husbands and also through Naomi, their mother-in-law. They both loved Naomi, yet their actions couldn't have been more different in this scene. Think about it. Now, you, there's, I want to be careful here because you definitely go into interpretation when you start building out a scene. But realize that, I mean, Naomi's, these are her daughters-in-law. She would know them well. She would have had a chance to observe them, to see their mannerisms, to see the things that, that floated their boats. You know, she would understand what kind of gift to get them when it came time. You know, she would know them. She would know their likes, their dislikes, their, their character, their disposition. You know, if they were content or if they were always just kind of brewing on something, you know, just brooding and not brewing, <laughs> but she would know them. And she'd had opportunity to observe Orpah over time. And she would know her character. She'd know her tendencies. And uh, as Ruth is beginning to embrace the God of Naomi here, Orpah continues to embrace the heathen gods of Moab. Moloch, Chemosh, we looked at them last week. As the objects of her worship and, and her devotion, she turns back when Naomi says, you need to go back. She says, yeah, you know, you're right. I need to go back. The point in this is that these women had faith in entirely different things. And there's a principle here, folks. You will always, always, always act on what you believe. It's just, that's just the way it is. That's why James says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Because you will act on that which you believe. There's no doubt. Orpah believed in the gods of Moab. She believed in the Moabite people. She remained connected to them. Ruth, on the other hand, has got some very interesting things going on in her heart that are revealed as we go through the text, but we'll get to, and we'll get to that. But there's some, a very different response to the things that Naomi is saying to her. In verse 15, it says, and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, I gotta, gotta say, as we, as we wrap up looking at Orpah, because she disappears and she's never heard from again, uh, men's traditions have vilified this woman. And while it's true, she's yeah, a Moabite woman, went back to her people, back to her gods. There's nothing actually known of her from this point forward. 
this is something in Jewish tradition I came across, and I thought that this was interesting. And I, I, I share this because it's, it's an example of the things that people pile on to the word of God. This is Jewish tradition. It says this request from Naomi came four miles outside of Moab and that Orpah shed only four tears over the thought of parting from her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the rabbis, they go on to say that as a payback for the four miles and the four tears that she went with Naomi, Orpah gave birth to four sons, Goliath and his three brothers. And they actually say that in Jewish folklore or Jewish tradition. Uh, interestingly, Orpah is a Moabite woman. Goliath was a Philistine, and he came from the coastal areas. That's where the Philistines dwelt. And so here's Bethlehem, here's the coast, and here's Moab. And for them to get together would mean that Orpah would have had to reconsider and, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff. So, but that's what tradition says. And I'll tell you what, folks, there is a ton of tradition that men pile on. To the word of God, we got to be so careful. Uh, I remember I was sitting with uh, uh, a gal by the name of Rose Martinez. She's a, a missionary in Thailand that has founded a now, now a number of or- orphanages and children's homes throughout Southeast Asia. She's been doing this since she was, I think, 20 years old, and God called her to this miraculous life. Anyway, I was sitting having dinner with her at uh, my pastor's house years ago, and <laughs> I said, um, Rose, let me ask you a question. She said, all right. And she's sitting next to me at this dinner. And, and I said, if I could miraculously pop into a Thai worship service, would I be scandalized? And she started opening her mouth and explained things. So I said, no, 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 no. Yes or no. <laughs> would I be scandalized? And she looked at me and then she started to smile. And she went, yes. <laughs> I said, how come? Now you can explain why. And so we were laughing. I was, I was having some fun, but it was also, I was going somewhere. She said, well, just the, the Thai name for our king is, it's the same word we use for God. <laughs> and so there's like a little bit of confusion in their minds about, you know, here's God and here's our king, because we never put a picture of our king lower than us. He always has to be above your head. And, and I mean, there's a ton of traditions they have as a people. But we went on and we talked about it, and I said, that's my point, is I look at how much tradition and culture that we pile on in the body of Christ. And we do, and every culture does. The point here is that Orpah left, (laughs) and we don't know anything about it other than that. She went back. Yeah, her choosing to go to Moab and, and back to where God's can be seen by as by default, it was a choice not to follow the God of Naomi. I mean, that's pretty reasonable. Also, though, Orpah's decision, if you look at it, folks, it was no different than other people's decisions today. Uh, to choose not to follow Christ, to choose to go their own way, is something that happens every day. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, singular There's one way to God. And every other ism, every other way is a fraud. And so the world in choosing not to follow Christ is choosing their own way, doing the same thing that Orpah did. So I want to sort of shift the focus a little bit here. I want to go back 
and look at Naomi's repeated pleas. She's, she is practically begging these women to not go with her. She's very strong with them. In verse 8, she says, go, return each to her mother's house. Verse 11, she says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Verse 12, she says, turn back, my daughters, and go, for I'm too old to have a husband. And then here in verse 15, she says, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go. And I believe that what's going on here, I mean, we haven't heard anything from, from Ruth or Orpah at this point, but I believe that this is the moment of Ruth's conversion. I truly do. She hadn't said a word yet, but we know that she was choosing to follow Naomi out of the love she had for Naomi herself, but that wasn't all. Orpah had also loved Naomi. There was something more than human affection in in the choice which Ruth was making here. I believe there, there was a divine love that had been developing down. Yeah, this is the point where they either go forward together or they part forever. That's true, but as I mentioned, Ruth had spent a lot of time with her daughters-in-law. They generally lived in the same home. These were large families. They didn't do like we do. We move out, we get an apartment or whatever. That was how their culture worked. And so they probably, I mean, we have to assume they spent a lot of time together, even if they lived apart. And in doing so, there was sort of a downloading or a sort of an observation of Naomi's life and and, and all of that that's going on, and, and Ruth has got to be looking at the difference between her God, or gods, and, and Naomi's God. Uh, she had to come to know the God that Naomi loved and, and worshipped. And, and here she's contrasting in her mind, uh, perhaps understanding at least what had been known about Naomi's God was, his name is the great I Am. I, Moses said, who shall I tell Pharaoh sent me? He said, tell him I am sent you. I am that I am. And contrast that to Chemosh. We looked at the god of the Moabites, the chief god. They had many gods, but the chief god was Chemosh. His name means destroyer. So it's like Ruth is on one. She's going, do I want this one who delivers people, who loves his people? He rescues them from Egypt. Naomi told me all about that. I mean, you can't talk to a Jew for very long without getting that story. Do I want this or do I want the destroyer? So there's been a lot going on that's not recorded for us. You have to see that, 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 that it, 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 the story wouldn't make sense to not believe that that's the case. Sorry, I got a button in there. So she's come to believe by this point. But there's also a third element here. And I believe it was a matter of Ruth's will. So she has an emotional love for Naomi. She has been developing an informed love for Naomi's God. But she's also making a choice. And it was a deliberate act of her will. We'll see that when we get into verses 16 and 17. Naomi had done all the talking until now. If you look at in the narrative here in this story, nobody has said anything except for the, the, in the third person narrative. And then Naomi talking. Orpah, Orpah comes and goes without ever having said anything. Uh, and Ruth, in a sense, she's endured Naomi's repeated urgings four times, as we just read, until now. 
And it culminates with her telling Ruth to follow her sister-in-law and going back to her people and her gods. However, I, I believe the intensity of Ruth's thoughts and feelings come out all the more strongly as now she's alone with Naomi. She's clinging to Naomi. And Ruth, Ruth's words here are powerful as she begins to speak and she pleads. And we're going to get into verses 16 and 17. It's interesting. It's, it's, the way it's written is somewhat poetic. We'll get to that later. But there are five statements and they're, they're in two-line groupings here. Uh, they're not that way on the slides. This would have really messed that up. But the point is, is that Ruth now begins to speak and she has five things to say to Naomi. And that's what I want to spend some time looking at here this morning. Uh, the first in verse 16, the first part of verse 16, it says, but Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Now the word entreat me not, it's interesting in different translations of the Bible, that word entreat is, is urge or persuade. So what she's saying here, she's saying, stop urging, stop trying to persuade me to turn back. Entreat me not, Naomi. I don't intend to leave. Please stop asking me to, is what she is saying here. That's, that's how it breaks down. She's saying, look, this is settled for me. That's part of why I believe that Ruth came to know the Lord, the, the God of Naomi, the God of Israel, before she ever spoke a word here in this book. Because now she's acting on what she believes. This is the outworking of what she has already come to believe. She's already become a woman of faith. She's saying, stop, just stop. And she's polite about it, but she's saying very firmly, stop urging me, stop trying to talk me into leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I don't intend to leave. So the second thing we see here in, in verse 16, is she says, for wherever I go, or for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. What Ruth is saying here is more than a change of address. With no legal obligation, she's making a pledge now to Naomi. She's making, this is a pledge from the younger to take care of the older with zero, zero concern for her own welfare. She's saying, look, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. I will be with you. We know from what has already been spoken that Naomi is old. She's not going to remarry. She's beyond childbearing years. And we know that Ruth, out of the love, the abundance of love that she has in her heart, is saying, look, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. Ruth has no idea how she's going to be taken care of. She's going to a foreign land with this foreign woman, and she may have already come to know that they didn't look too kindly on Moabites back in Israel, but she's not even going there with all of that. What she's saying is, look, Naomi, don't ask me to leave. Not only am I not going to leave, I'm going with you. Not only am I going to go with you, I'm going to take care of you. And I pledge to do that. It's one thing for Ruth to confess her love for Naomi, but there's something deeper going on here because it's quite another to express her love for Naomi. Agape love, the, the, the kind of love that God has for us, is an expressed love. It's not just, hey, I love you, 
See you later. It's a love that shows up in actions in our lives. It's essentially, by its very nature, it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that says, I am putting you above me. That's the kind of love that I have. That's the kind of love that Ruth is expressing to Naomi. It's a sacrificial love. And it's a, it's a, a love that she is expressing. She's not just leaving it at, hey, I love you. She's saying, let me show you how my love for you is going to work out. That's what's going on here. This is a powerful scene. And these things that Ruth has to tell her mother-in-law are powerful and, and, and they have depth and they have meaning because it's more than a speech that she's giving her. She is making a promise. When we think about love being expressed, I'm reminded of, of in, in Romans 5, 8, the Apostle Paul writes that God demonstrates his own love towards us. He demonstrates it. He expresses his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how has God expressed, primarily expressed his love for us? Through the cross, through the, the redemptive work that Jesus did on our behalves, that while we were still out there binging along, doing our own thing, sinning, living, in lives, living lives of sin in disobedience towards him, not even mindful of him, that Christ died for us. It's an expression of God's love that as he expresses that love to us, Ephesians 5, we looked at that uh, just a few weeks ago uh, where the Apostle Paul again writing, he says, husbands, love your wives. He doesn't leave it there though. He says, just also as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her. This is an expressed love. It's a sacrificial love. When Naomi or when Ruth, I mean, you guys were really kind to me last week too. I kept on getting the names juxtaposed. (laughs) I think half the study I was saying, Ruth was Naomi and Naomi was Ruth, but, or maybe that was just second service, I don't know. But here we see that, that Ruth is putting, she's putting feet to the message. She's putting feet to her feelings. And, and, and it's a very important thing that we recognize that. So when we look at that, it, 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 that the fact that it's one thing to profess our love, it's another to express it. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with the expression of love that you have for others? How are you doing in expressing your love for God? Good questions. The third thing we see here in verse 16, she says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is the crux of everything that Ruth has to say. We'll revisit this towards the end of the message, but, but truly this is, there, there is a lot going on in this statement. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. I see five things going on here. And I'll go through them. The first is in verse 15, Naomi tells Ruth, she says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Ruth is giving Naomi her answer. No. <laughs> she's, she's saying, no, the, the Moabites are no longer my people. Their gods are no longer my gods. Uh, she's acting on what she has already come to believe. As I mentioned, I believe that this is settled for her before she ever opens her mouth. And she's telling Naomi, no, that, that's not an issue. That's not, that's not something that's going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're no longer my people. I no longer count myself among the Moabites. I no longer count their gods, Chemosh, Moloch, and all of that uh, as my God. No, it's, things have shifted here. The second thing we see in this 
passage in verse 16, and, and this is key. Uh, we looked last week at, at Deuteronomy 23, at God's disposition toward the Moabites. In 23.3, we read, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty firm statement. In 23.6 here, it says, You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. <laughs> He's talking to Israel, saying, you Don't let them in. But here, Ruth is literally, she is renouncing her citizenship with the Moabite people. She's saying, I'm done with them. She's renouncing the gods that she grew up with. I'm done with them. This is a total separating from Moab. The third thing we see, it's, it's connected here to what we just looked at in, in the second, uh, that she's now not, not just pushing away and renouncing her former nation, her nationality, her citizenship, and their gods, but she's embracing both the people and the God of Israel. Again, this is not simply, it's, this is not just a change of address. It's her identity. Ruth is, she's saying, my identity is no longer tied up in Moab. It's no longer tied up with those gods. My identity from this point forward, Naomi, the reason I'm not going back is my identity is tied up in your people. My identity is tied up in your God. If we wanted to use New Testament uh, language, we could say that this is where Ruth got saved. <laughs> this is where she converted. And her con conversion was powerful. The point in all of that is, therefore, God's judgment over Moab no longer applied to her life. She was done. I think about the, the, the lyrics to the song, the cross before me, the world behind me. There's no turning back. I'm not interested in that. It's not where my life is centered. That's what's going on here. Fourth thing we see in this is Naomi's relationship with God had made a real impact on Ruth. This is striking because we know by looking at this that Naomi didn't have an easy life. She's widowed. She's lost both of her sons. She's believed that she had caused she and her daughters-in-law calamity and all of that by her disobedience. But, and it's an important but, she still honored and loved the Lord. Clear in this passage. And there had to be something attractive to Ruth for her to say she wanted Naomi's God to be her God. Here's the point. The Lord is always grinding and polishing away those rough edges in our lives. We're seeing some grinding and polishing going on in Naomi's life. But where is Naomi headed this very moment? She's headed back to her people and her God. And Ruth is saying, not only do I want to go with you, I want that. I want to be identified with them and with him. Question, is there sufficient fruit in your life that others might say, I want your God to be my God. I pray, folks, I pray for, especially, you know, and being a pastor, I, I sometimes I think, you know, I, I, I want to get out on the street more. I want to get, I want, to, I, I want to, more exposure to unbelievers because my life is very centered upon you all. And, and that's a good thing. It's what God's called me to do. And yet sometimes I feel like I kind of live in a bubble and I want my life to count for Christ. That's 
that's why we don't do it as much as first service, but second service, we don't end the service without sharing the gospel and a call for salvation, to, to ask God's forgiveness for our sins and to, to receive Christ. Because we want what we have to be an appealing thing to the world. Because the world will either push back or they'll embrace. So is there sufficient fruit in our lives that others would have the same response? I, I, I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. So in choosing to follow Naomi, in choosing to follow the Lord, this Gentile woman, once far from God, had drawn near to him. Hers was a matter of loving commitment to God and to God's people, and it came through her repentant mother-in-law. I want to emphasize that. It's the fifth thing we see here. We don't know how long Ruth was on the scene during the 10 years that Naomi was in Moab, but we can assume that it was a considerable amount of time. During that time in Moab, uh, it never caused Ruth to confess her allegiance to the God of Israel. However, as soon as Naomi brought low by her circumstances, stood and said, I'm going back to the God of Israel. I'm going to put my fate in his hands. That's when Ruth stood with her. That's when Ruth came to faith. That's when Ruth saw there was something more to this. It was through another woman's repentance. It was through a broken and a contrite heart. Through that lens, you got to know that Ruth had been watching her mother-in-law. She'd been seeing the way she's handling these things. And I think very often we don't realize how much people are watching our lives. And it's not what we're going to do. or It's, it's not that, that bad circumstances aren't going to come because they will come. All of us will go through things. But how are we going to handle it when it comes? What's the attitude of my heart going to be when, when God allows me to hit tough stuff? Am I going to look up, embrace him? I see so often, I used to do uh, a bit of uh, bereavement counseling for people who had lost a loved one because it's a, an area that's dear to my heart, having gone through that with my daughter. And, and, and it was heartbreaking to see that some of the time that People's choice is to shake their fist at God. How come he killed my son? How come he killed my daughter? Hard things. It's a place where people make very important, critical decisions. Not realizing at that point that that's due to the fact that we live on a fallen world. You don't believe that. Look at the headlines today or any other day this last few days. We live on a fallen planet. We live in an evil place. And yet God is still God. He is still on the throne. So when I go through hard things, what's my response? Shake my fist at God? How come you're doing this to me? Or God, you've got my attention. You've brought my life perhaps low. And I'm I'm crying out for you as Naomi did. That's what Ruth saw. That was the attitude she saw in her mother. She saw, yeah, she was flawed. She saw the cracks and and, and the blemishes in Naomi's life. But she saw a woman that through it all was strengthened in her relationship with her God. And that's what was attractive to her. I totally believe that was what attracted Ruth to the God of Naomi, the God of Israel. In verse 17, we see here that 
the, the fourth of these five statements that Ruth makes. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Now, this is a telling statement. Uh, Ruth, she's stating that her intentions go far beyond Naomi. After you're dead, I am not going anywhere, is what she's saying. I mean, she's understanding that Naomi being older and Ruth being the younger, that she will probably outlive Naomi. She's saying, look, where you die, that's where I'm going to die. Where you're buried, uh, I'm going to be buried the same place. Uh, It confirms her intent. For her, Moab would never again be an option. She's saying, no, it is totally done. I have no intention. I have canceled my options. When we walk away from this place and we're walking towards Israel and we're going back to your home, that's my home. And and I am going to be there. There is no turning back. There is no way I'm going back to the land of my birth. It's a very telling statement. It's powerful. She'd chosen, uh, at this point, Ruth had chosen Naomi's destination, her dwelling, her people, her God, and even now her burial place. This is what we would call resolute. Ruth is resolute. She has resolved. It's a done deal. It's settled in her mind. There's nothing for me back there. Everything from here forward is where I'm at. All of this, folks, every one of these things that Ruth is embracing is looking ahead. Why? Because faith looks ahead. Faith doesn't look back. Faith looks ahead. It says, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing right now, but I'm keeping my eyes on you because I know that it's going to be good. In the end, I know that you're going to be working something out. I know that you're working in my heart. I know that you're working in my kids. I know that you're working in my grandkids. I know that I don't like these circumstances, and yet I know you're doing something. And I know that you're a good, a loving, a kind, compassionate, merciful God. And I'm putting my trust in that. When I don't understand specifically what's going on, I go back to the basics, folks. And I think it's a good practice. I know that God loves me. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he has gone to, to prepare a place for me. When he comes back, he's going to take me to himself. I know that heaven exists. I know that he is real. I know that I can bank on these things. When I don't understand what's going on, I can understand that. And that's where our lives need to be centered. That's part of why Ruth is saying here, where you die, I'm going to die. And, and where you're buried, I'll be buried there. All of it. All of these things that she is taking on here in these couple of verses are so pivotal in her life. They all look ahead. In Philippians 3, uh, Paul, the apostle, this guy had ample reason to look back in his life. He goes through this whole pedigree, this whole thing. You know, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, he goes down the list. But in in verses 13 and 14 of of Philippians 3, he says, brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I'm forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is walking by faith. He's looking ahead. He's not relying on his stuff. He's not relying on what's behind him. And he had good reason to. Highly trained, highly educated, all position, status, all of that. He says, no, no, I'm pressing on for the goal of the the prize of the upward call of God in my life. 
It's essentially what Ruth is saying in these things that she's laying out for Naomi. Back to verse 17, she says, the fifth thing we see here, uh, she says, the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts, you and me. So now, yeah, Ruth is encouraging her mother-in-law, but there's something deeper going on here. She is swearing an oath at this point. And she's swearing an oath before Naomi and before God. It's a very serious thing. God is very clear. He takes oaths very, very seriously. Don't just flippantly make oaths to people. When you make an oath, you better be willing to back it up, is essentially what the Old Testament says. And it's good advice for us. Uh, essentially what this is, this is Ruth's final word on the matter. She's saying, look, here it is. The Lord do so to me more also, if anything but death parts you and I. She's saying Can't, the, that God would, would... She's ending this dispute but she's in, she, because she's inviting the most severe penalty from Yahweh if she would prove insincere in her lifelong love for Naomi and her lifelong commitment and devotion to Naomi. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, now in Hebrews 6, it, it talks about God making a promise to Abraham, the, the, the Abrahamic covenant and all that. So in, in Hebrews 16, it says that God swore to Abraham, but, but because there was no one higher than God, that God swore by himself when he made an oath to Abraham. And he goes on to say in verse 616 in Hebrews, for men indeed swear by the greater, that's God, because there are those greater than us. There is one greater than us, that is God. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. And that's what Ruth is doing. She's saying, this is it. I'm ending this dispute. I'm giving you my oath. It's, uh, and, and that's it. She's saying, under penalty of death, these things are going to be carried out in my life. And we know, too, that she was true to that oath. As we peek ahead here in the book of Ruth, we know that Naomi would become, uh, she would be cared for in the house of Boaz in her old age. She would also become the nurse to Boaz and Ruth's son, Obed, who was the grandfather to King David. So uh, when she says this, she's saying, look, this is it. Under penalty of death, these things I'm telling you are true. Verse 18 says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, uh, that Naomi stopped speaking to her. So with Ruth's oath, Naomi saw that her mind was made up and she wouldn't be deterred. And so Naomi's response was, she zipped it. She says, I'm done talking about this. She tried and tried and tried and tried to get her daughters-in-law to go back. She has just gotten this powerful statement from Ruth and, and, and you got to believe that, that she was, perhaps her jaw was hanging down by the time Ruth finished saying all of this because this is some potent stuff. And she realized that Ruth, in swearing this oath, was ending the argument. That's culturally, that's how they did it. And she said, essentially, Ruth had said, enough. This is settled in my mind, and I hope it's settled in yours because otherwise I'm following along and you don't have much to say. She's really taking the authority in the situation upon herself. And, and, and so in light of Naomi's persistent requests for her to turn back, uh, the question comes to me, would, would she be Naomi's convert or God's? 
Naomi tried everything she could to talk her out of it. And Ruth was seeing beyond that. She converted. She converted to Judaism right there. She converted to becoming a member, a functioning member of Hebrew society. She converted to becoming a person who would love and honor Yahweh. Yeah, she was God's convert. She wasn't Naomi's. She counted the cost. There's a good chance, too, that she knew because of hanging out with Naomi. It doesn't tell us in the text, so again, be careful. But you've got to realize, too, that there's a good chance that at some point Naomi had shared with Ruth, look, God's word warned against Elimelech and I coming with the boys to Moab because there are some very specific things about Moab in the books of Moses here that we don't know. But we do know that regardless that Ruth was counting the cost and going for it. As we wrap up, I want to I want to take a quick look at some parallels here. They're unmistakable parallels. Ruth, Ruth's words and her actions here, we see in them an example of what's involved in true Christian conversion. That when somebody converts to Christ, uh, there are great parallels in this story. Uh, the first is that conversion involves decisive separation. <laughs> now, not the kind of separation that, and remember when Paul in Acts 26, he's before King Agrippa, and he lays out his testimony, he lays out the whole thing, and Agrippa, I picture him stroking his beard, saying, you know, almost, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. That's not decisive. He was very indecisive. Same thing in Acts 17, where Paul is there at the Areopagus on top of Mars Hill in Athens, and he's talking to the Stoics and the philosophers, and he lays out this whole deal, and they say, essentially, paraphrasing, we'll get back to you on this. <laughs> there was no decisive, there was no decision, but Ruth's decision to go with Naomi was a radical break from all that she had known up to that point in her life. For her, life couldn't and wouldn't ever be the same. Her decision involved the second thing that we look at here, separation from one kingdom for another. In going with Naomi, Ruth was renouncing her citizenship as we looked at. She was set apart from Moab, set apart to Israel, set apart from Chemosh and Molech, set apart to the God of Israel. She said, the people of Moab are no longer my people. I'm separating myself from them. My people are now God's people. The kingdom I belong to is God's kingdom. Part of Jesus' work, part of his death on the cross was the work of separating for himself a people that he could separate off to become his own. That's you and I, folks. You belong to Christ. You've been separated. And now you belong to him. We looked at in Colossians a few weeks ago that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Our conversion is, it, it, part of our conversion is, is understanding that we were separated from the kingdom of sin into which we were born, to the kingdom of Jesus into which we're born again by his death on the cross. That's the transaction. Separation, the third thing we look at here is the separation in, in true conversion is the separation from many gods for the one true God. Ruth would have been 
a worshiper of many gods of Moab. Uh, they, as I mentioned, Chemosh, Moloch, they had smaller deities. I mean, these were, generally they were stone idols that they worshiped that represented these, these false, these phony gods. Uh, and going with Naomi, she was separating herself from those man-made gods, those idols, for the one true God, Yahweh. And now, understanding that an idol is virtually anything that we can place above devotion to God. And folks, we live, (laughs) you don't need me to tell you, we live in an idolatrous world. I mean, you look at the media, look at the, the, the constant appeals for you need to have this, you need to be better, you need to attain more, you need to have status, drive this car, buy this product, do your hair with this stuff, whatever it is. It's just we're bombarded with idolatrous messages. Oh, if I could just have that. Oh, if I could just be more. The gospel of Christ calls upon us to turn from idols. Doesn't mean that you don't have nice hair. <laughs> Doesn't mean that you don't drive a decent car. None of that. But, but it's where is your emphasis? Where is, where is your heart with those things? It calls us to separate ourselves from those things that are filling the number one spot in our lives because that spot only belongs to him. So it's a matter of priorities. Is, is something in my life, am I giving it more airtime, more of my affections, more of my energy than I'm giving to God? That's a good question. It's a probing question. It's one we need to ask. We can drift into idolatry, folks. I I remember the Lord blessed me. I had a couple of prosperous businesses and there was a point, I'm not proud of it, but I'll share it. Hopefully it speaks to somebody at some point. There's a point where that business, those business affairs, where the money I was making and all of that, because they were doing well, where they became more important than God in my life. I didn't get up one morning and say, I think that those will be more important than God today. No, I drifted into that mindset. And when I realized I was there, I was in trouble. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing. We got to keep the main one, the main one. The next thing we look at, the separation from those who remain as they are. And this is a tough one. Ruth's conversion meant separation from her sister-in-law, Orpah, as well as from her people, her own family. She was a Moabite. We have to believe that she had a family in Moab and that when she was walking away, she was walking away from them. Christian conversion often, very often, it separates us from our peers. We don't leave the world. We don't stop belonging to our human families. But, 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 we're not the same. We're no longer the same. We are are different. When the Holy Spirit comes in and God sets us apart, our lives are different. I know in my family, in in my extended family, uh, I praise God in in Stacy's family, her family is a bunch of believers. So we have fun. But in, in my extended family, that the people that call me, the, that list went way down. Unless they're really in trouble, and I praise God. But, you know, the people, they just push away. They don't want, oh, that's that Uncle John or that thing. But Jesus taught that his gospel would bring division between the converted and the unconverted. 
And if you're running around trying to prop up relationships that God is allowing there to be a divide in, be careful with that. Remain true to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, Jesus telling his, his people, he says, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, such is not the case with Ruth, but was with Orpah. And a man's enemies will be those of his own house, household. Point in all of this, folks, you think that Ruth maybe missed her family? Probably. Do you think she missed? Maybe she was close with Orpah. We don't know. Do you think that there was a, a place in her heart that she was saddened? Yeah. Because being set apart can be costly. And that's just the nature of it. I don't know your family dynamics. I do know mine. And, and yeah, there's some pain. And, and yet I can't compromise the message. In, in trying to bridge that gap. The next thing we look at is that conversion involves total identification. Ruth clung to Naomi. As I mentioned, the word translated cling, it's the word cleave, in, in, it's used in Genesis 2.24 to describe what happens in a man and a woman who are united in marriage. They cleave to each other. They're totally identified with each other. That's what that is, that the two become one. And there's an identification that goes on. Verses 16 and 17 that we've looked at here in Ruth, are pro, they're, they're poetic, actually, in their structure. I don't know how they are in your Bible. In my Bible, they're kind of set apart in a little block of text. And they're, they're five two-line uh, deals there. Uh, in these five pairs of clauses, the structure reveals that, in, in the poetic structure in Hebrew poetry, the central point is the, the middle of the passage. So in the five, it's the third of the five. He says, she says to Naomi, she says, in the first one is, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. The second is, Forever, wherever I go, you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. The third and the, and the center of this message is, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And so that is the crux of what's going on. As I mentioned when we looked at it, that is the central part of this whole thing in Ruth's life. At the heart of her identification with Naomi was her total identification with and cleaving to Naomi's God and Naomi's people. Ruth didn't simply separate herself from the gods she had previously worshipped. She now identified herself fully with Naomi's God and Naomi's people as Christians. Our lives are hidden in Christ. We're told that in Colossians 3. It means that the God of the Bible becomes our God and that God's people become our people. That's why I, I'll tell you what, I have Christian brothers and sisters that are closer than my blood brothers and sisters, those that don't believe. There's a, great, there's a powerful principle in this because conversion automatically unites us with God's people. You're added into the family of God. The sixth thing we want to look at here is conversion or being identified with and set apart to God is never forced. And it's always motivated by love. Ruth saw in Naomi a flawed 
yet lovely woman. We see that too. And she saw a woman whose capacity for love she had never known. You got to understand, you got to know that. She had, she replaced repeatedly, Naomi had repeatedly placed Ruth above her own welfare. Would her life have been easier if she could have gone back to Israel with Orpah and Ruth? Absolutely. They were young, energetic. They would probably marry at something and she could get a future at it. But she knew that that would be signing these two girls up for a really rough life and for heavy condemnation, criticism from the Jews. Perhaps never marrying, as we see what God's disposition is in this. But she saw a woman whose capacity for love she had never known. And she had, uh, if she she had known that kind of love, she probably would have headed back to Moab. So as we wrap up, having settled these issues once and for all as to who her people and her God would be, these two women press on together towards Bethlehem. I was thinking about this, is picturing, you know, it says that Naomi just went quiet at this point. And I was thinking, you know, picturing these two women walking along the gravel road, the only noise when their sandals were crunching on the gravel as they quietly walked forward together, not knowing what the future held. Knowing they were together, Naomi had to be at least silently or secretly relieved. She intended to go on alone from there. And it's a long, hard journey. And it would have been a hard life. But united in faith, united in heart, their lives are about to take a dramatic turn. We're going to get to that next week when they get back to Bethlehem. And we'll see how things start to unfold for them. A couple of thoughts as we close this morning. The first, and I want to say this lovingly, you're finding yourself in Moab. Has God, got, God gotten quiet? And, and perhaps it's not just a dry time. We talked about it last week. There's some aspects of the world that have been pulling at you. And he's put his hand on those things and he wants more of your heart this morning. Listening to the song that Jennifer did when we started and just that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Man, the world is out there. It beckons, it hits us all day, every day. And we need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There are times where our hearts can drift. That's what I mean when I'm talking about Moab. I mean... Nobody's going off to this dusty desert place on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. But Moab in this story represents all that the world serves up, the false gods, the idols, the things that pull at us. The Bible says, examine yourself. See if you're in the will of God. And in love, I just put that out there. If you see that there are areas of your heart, you're not in his will, come home. It's that simple. Ask him to forgive you. Come home. Are there issues in your heart, matters of identity or matters of, of faith that are unsettled? It's a small group in here. I trust that those that are here have settled those things. If they're not, you can settle them today. Give your life or recommit your life to Jesus. That's what he's after. He's after our hearts. He was after Ruth's heart. He was after Naomi's heart the whole time. Yeah, there was some geography involved, but we look at that again as we relate this story to our lives. It's not maybe a physical geography, but there can sure be some spiritual geography that we need to cover. 
in, in finding that we're in a, a foreign land and a place where we have no business being and, and just turning around and heading home. I, I love that these women are headed home together. Now it would be Ruth's home. Now it would be Ruth's people. It had been Naomi's, and it had been 10 years since she'd been gone. I'll bet she was looking forward to getting back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just this wonderful book in the Old Testament. So many reminders of who we are in Christ, of what we possess in you. And so, Lord, as uh, as we wrap up this morning, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring to our remembrance the things that we've looked at, the things that we've studied here this morning. And Lord, that you would just be given access to those places in our hearts that only you possess. And that in doing so, Lord, that we would be able to surrender those things that are impeding our progress, impeding our journey here on this earth. And and Lord, that would be for your glory. That's what we want. We thank you so much for your love and for the love that you have that's expressed through the people around us, the people that know you. We pray for those in our families.